ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway on this Thursday edition. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. It includes our YouTube channel. You can search us out there. Just search out Outkick. Hope you'll subscribe. Like you find us on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, many other platforms, Outkick.com as well. Jam-packed show today with Trey Wallace from Outkick.com talking all things college football, expansion, uh, some under-the-radar teams in the SEC, and much more. That happens in 20 minutes. Dan Dockich, also this hour, host of Don't At Me here on the Outkick Network. Armando Salguero has the very latest across NFL training camps as we get into preseason games. And Andy Staples of On3, National College Football columnist, writer, a longtime reporter. He joins us in Hour 3 with an idea that he has for a new conference that includes Notre Dame. Chad, good afternoon. Love this idea from Andy. Love this lineup of today's show. It's going to be fun. We're, we're going to get after it today. Hats will be banged. That, that we can promise. Uh, time for the top headlines of the afternoon. That's our scorched earth here on Hot Mike. And we start in College Station where the Texas A&M Aggies, the 12th man plus NIL fund, it's no longer going to be taken on campus, which was the idea and what was a, a, a turn, a, a back turn to the NCAA threats that they would face sanctions. They were against NCAA guidelines for taking their collective in-house. And now, well, Chad, they've got the IRS threatening them based on the status of their nonprofit uh, venture where most donors want uh, some tax-exempt status, tax benefit from their donation to a university. They're not going to be able to do it through the collective of the Aggie Fund Plus based on how it's set up right now. They have, uh, there's rewards and kickbacks for donating to the, the Aggie Fund, the 12th Man Fund. And Chad, it includes not just points for the, from the athletic department with the said donor, but also season ticket things uh, and the tax benefits, which is the big thing here. And the IRS, based on the threats, shutting them down, at least on campus. You know, there was a time in American history, early 20th century, where Teddy Roosevelt as president was busting trust and breaking up monopolies left and right. And this was a time when people that were in charge of businesses, the Rockefellers of the world, they did not want government interference with anything. It's the last thing they wanted. They wanted to build their empires and rule America from a business standpoint without government interference. We've now entered this cycle in college sports where all anyone wants is government interference until they don't want government interference because the NCAA was able to rule with an iron fist and make up rules as they went along, regardless if it was lawful or not, for years and years and years. And it worked out great for the NCAA. It worked out great for the universities. It's worked out great for college coaches. worked out great for the sport. And then the Supreme Court came back and said, you know that thing about Athletes not being able to make money on their name, image, likeness. Well, that's unconstitutional and it's unlawful and you can't do that anymore. And that prompted the NCAA and Mark Emmert to come back and say, all right, you got us. The jig is up. We're out. Someone else needs to take over. So then other people start writing the rules. And then when they write all the rules, the coaches don't like it. And what do they say? We need government regulation. We need the government to step in and help us out with a new bill that will be favorable to us. So then you got Texas A&M and collectives out there. And Texas A&M was the first to try to join the school with a collective. 
And what does the government come back and say? The IRS says, yeah, you're not going to get your tax-exempt status because of this. So, hey, we tried, we tried, hand in the cookie jar, got it slapped back. This is just sort of the cycle we're in right now. People are either begging the government to make up rules for them in college sports because the whole thing is so odd, and it's always been odd. We just didn't really see it for years and years. Or they're trying to push the envelope in hopes that the government doesn't come back and tell them they're wrong, as is the case here with this A&M Collective. Well, and the NCAA itself is designated as a 501c3 charitable organization, a billion-dollar charitable organization with a mission to enhance the lives of student-athletes, uh, which is also laughable. Now, you mentioned the government getting involved. Uh, that's exactly what Greg Abbott did, governor of Texas, whenever they, he signed a bill that uh, basically told the NCAA, uh, you're banned from investigating or, or trying to punish based on collectives within a university, within our, our state boundary. So this is a Texas A&M effort, but it could have been literally anybody within the state of Texas based on this. And keep in mind, they had that massive recruiting class, what, uh, a year ago, really signed into effect two years ago. And they did that without having anything on in-house based on the, the 12th man fund. They're trying to just bring it under one roof. And in effect, Chad, they'll continue to do that. Yeah, I don't think A&M did anything wrong. You know, in this, again, they're, they're trying to push the envelope like other collectives have been, and everybody wants some sort of guidance. They don't know where to go to get it, so you've got some that are just doing all they can while they can, knowing something is coming, and that's where A&M falls. They looked at the state law in Texas, and they said, we can do this, and then it's almost like getting Al Capone for tax evasion. Yeah. Well, right? they, then, then it's the IRS yeah. that comes back and says, well, you're not going to keep your tax-exempt status as a nonprofit, if you're doing this as part of it, which is understandable. Chad, uh, as far as the money goes, that's also the case with the ACC. Uh, reports were that they were eager to bring on Stanford and Cal and until they met last night. And the, the presidents don't see added revenue by bringing on Stanford and Cal at the current time for a conference that is already having internal bickering over who gets what slice of the pie they didn't want to bring on two more at least that's the sentiment from the majority vote notre dame was the one really pushing for stanford and cal but they didn't have as large of a voice within that meeting as i would have thought previous to the meeting starting because others are looking back and saying well this is coming from a program that still refuses to join us full time but but still has the a vote and still has the vocal uh, authority, so to speak, of the biggest brand within our conference. And, I mean, bringing on Stanford and Cal makes sense from Notre Dame's where they sit uh, and all the sports they participate in. But from a football standpoint, Stanford and Cal doesn't for the ACC. They got this right. It's tough to get 15 programs, 15 schools to agree, uh, especially in this conference where you have so many different points of view and multiple motives and incentives from individual programs and universities um, and, and from Florida State to the haves and the have nots. Right. And, and then you have a deadline coming up on Tuesday for Florida State, for instance, to declare if they are going to seek either uh, another conference or if they're going independent by 2024, the deadline for Florida State to get out 
and to alert the conference in advance is this coming Tuesday. So uh, prior to bringing on Stafford and Cal, of course you would want to see what happens with that deadline next week. Well, Jack Swarbrick's whole thing is, is just laughable to me right now. You know, we should do this because we can't leave two elite academic universities just hanging out there with no conference, almost like it's a charitable effort. In knowing that Notre Dame, one of their big rivals every year is Stanford, um, you know, it would and make the Olympic sense. sports it and everything else for too, Notre Dame. for them, for yeah, the program, which, again, they're serving their, their, themselves, but that's what many of the universities are doing right now. And they're serving their football program no doubt right I mean I I never thought that Stanford and Cal would make any sense in the ACC other than some sort of safety net for football football only now I'm I'm fine with that if Stanford and Cal wanted to join the ACC for football only where you travel once a week and you're a part of that conference similar to the way Notre Dame is but the reverse where then the rest of their sports go into a different conference that makes more sense regionally I think that's a pretty good model to start to follow, uh, honestly. I, I still think it's a joke that two schools located on the Pacific Ocean would be in the Atlantic Coast Conference, but that's neither here nor there in 2023 when every decision is being made for football money and media rights money for football. So if you're going to make the decision based solely on football, put those schools solely in football in the ACC or another conference. I, I'm fine if that's the route they go. I just think... It's equally laughable to me when George Klyavikov put out that statement about we are still world-leading universities and Colorado leaving has not affected us at all. When Jack Swarbrick says, guys, we can't let these elite academic institutions left out there without a conference. Oh, by the way, and you mentioned it, Hutton, a guy who leads a school that is not in a conference. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Uh, Chad, this also, the significant roadblocks that Pete Thamel reported on, um, it's more than significant roadblocks for SMU because it doesn't sound like they were even discussed in this. They were the third team being mentioned yesterday with Stanford and Cal. Uh, Stanford and Cal were the only programs discussed in that meeting uh, coming out of it, according to, to Pete Thamel. The idea that you just brought up about the football-only aspect of Stanford and Cal is what Chip Kelly has also mentioned Publicly, Of course, UCLA is headed to the Big Ten, uh, but he says, hey, Notre Dame is an independent uh, football program and a conference for everything else. And uh, telling this to the LA Times, why aren't we all independent for football? Take the 64 teams in Power Five, make that one division. Take the 64 teams in the Group of Five, make that another division. We play for a championship. They play for a championship. No one else is affected by the movement that we're seeing right now. That well, sounds too easy. Th- this makes it, so much sense. So much other, sense that it's well, other too than, difficult? Other than one big thing, and it's the only thing right now, it's TV money, is the one thing stopping this from happening. Because in order for this to happen, and, and he's saying everyone is on their own, that wouldn't be the case because there would not be a scenario where every single institution would go and negotiate their own television package. Would not be the MLB going to regional sports networks or streaming and, you know, Arkansas is going to be here and Illinois is going to be here and Oregon State's going to be on uh, the WB or whatever. None of that would happen. What they would need to do is all say what the NFL has said since its inception. Let's do what's good for the greater good. Let's do what's good for the shield, for the, for the league. That would take 64 programs, many of which would be taking a sizable pay cut. 
yep. to not be in the SEC or the Big Ten, to swallow their pride and say, this is what needs to be done for the future of college football, for it to work, and we got to get there quickly. Let me be the first to tell Chip Kelly, there is no way in hell that is happening anytime soon because each of these universities are out for numero uno. Well, that is it. We have seen that with realignment. They're out for the most money. I don't, I don't see any time in the near future, unless it's forced out of necessity, that anyone in the SEC would raise their hand or the Big Ten and say, yeah, let's blow up these very lucrative conferences where we're currently making more money than every other team to make the exact same share as 64 different programs make and collectively bargain, collectively negotiate all of our media deals together. Not going to happen anytime soon, but it is where it needs to go eventually well, to survive. And maybe we see more discussion of this, not from 64, but maybe a smaller number, whenever the deal is up for the current college football playoff uh, contract. With, because that, well, that's a two-year deal that goes into effect next year. So whenever they start renegotiating that, where does the money come in and how big is that playoff after that based on the setup? And also, it requires leadership. You know, this is a lot like NIL in the discussion we had throughout media days last month. Uh, a lot of ideas are tossed around um, and, and complaints or uh, different various things. There's not many solutions. And at least Chip Kelly is trying to come up with a solution for the issue that we're seeing right now across the Power Five with two conferences leading the way. But there's not that one sole leader of the NCAA because they want to get a cap with federal legislation on pay for uh, payment for players before they move on to the, the greater aspect of whatever is going to happen with the landscape of major Power 5 college football, now Power 4. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's not going to be Charlie Baker that steps up and leads because he can't even enforce law in the state of Texas currently. Uh, the IRS is the one making threats and making Texas A&M do something. Meanwhile, they were mocking, daring the NCAA to come into the state of Texas and try to discipline anything that was going on in College Station. Well, and let's make this clear also on the proposal from Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin, the two senators. The NCAA could just make that their rule. They, they could reverse course and decide to make it the rule on the transfer portal stuff. Yeah, but who enforces That's it, That's an though? NCAA rule. They, but it, it was a rule prior to Yeah, they that. would just say you're ineligible. If you, well, if you violated the rule in terms of well, transfer. Well, but but that, no, but I, that would, I say that. That would make the branch No, and I say that, Hutton, to, to say they're not going to do anything. Right. That they're going to the government to try to enforce their, what they want, ultimately, because they could just easily say, hey, we're reversing course, and we're going back to this other rule because the transfer portal is not working out the way we want it. And it would be a disaster from a PR standpoint, and they know it. So they're trying to get the government to make it somehow unlawful for players to transfer unless they've been there for three years. And that, that would entail a, a break-off of what we're seeing right now with the NCAA guidelines overseeing the major college football and, and all sports across the, the college landscape. That could just hurry up hand. and get to that point where they break off, at least college football. Chad J. Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, said that anxiety was the reason why he had to step away for health concerns from June the, the 14th to July 17th, uh, right on the, the cusp of needing to be at the U.S. Open. He last spoke at the Canadian Open, and it was announced just prior to the U.S. Open that he wasn't going to be there because of physical and mental health issues that stem from anxiety. I mean, 
Yeah, I'm sure. sure I'm sure that did happen based on uh, the negotiation that took place with the uh, the Live Tour, Live Golf, and the PGA Tour, and the stress that comes along with that, and the reaction to everything. I'm sure that yeah, took place. Yeah, not not surprising at all. And I think he's probably telling the truth on this. I think it probably would have been wise for him to resign to tend to these medical and mental issues. Would have been best for him and his health, and for the health of the PGA Tour. Stated the obvious, he also said that. The way that he announced things was ineffective. Also, true. Coming up, Trey Wallace. We discuss the top issues across college football and the SEC upcoming season next. Dan Dockich will join us coming up in about 20 minutes. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We say hello to Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. College football writer. Does a great job there. Our senior college writer. Trey, uh, good afternoon. Hope things are well. Guys, everything's well. Just, uh, just fumbling through, talking with people around college football and trying to figure out when expansion is going to end. So we're good. What What is the overriding sentiment of those you've spoken with about what's next across the college football landscape? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to what the ACC is going to do over the next week or so. Uh, is that going to be Cal and Stanford? Uh, do they punt on both of them along with SMU and, and stick with what they have right now? Um, I think that's a big question mark coming out of last night's meeting. Uh, there, there was not a consensus. And if there's not a consensus, um, they're not going to take a vote on this thing. And, and right now, and I know we'll get into it, but right now looking at it, um, there's a lot of problems when it comes to bringing in two teams from the West Coast, a team like SMU. Um, and, and, and I think this it's not going to be the last straw because Washington State, Oregon State are going to have to do something. And I think that has to do with the Mountain West Conference. Mm. But I think overall, the sentiment is, you know, what a crazy two months it has been when it was so unexpected six months ago. What do you think Greg Sankey is doing behind the scenes? <laughs> Gauging the first off, he's fielding phone calls. Uh, I, I think he's fielding phone calls from from ACC members, um, Florida State. I think Clemson um, is, is talking with Sankey. And, and more or less, too, I, I think Greg Sankey is being a shoulder for somebody to lean on when it comes to what's going on in, in, in the Pac-12 and what's going on in the ACC. You have to remember, you know, Greg Sankey's friends with a lot of these guys, and he's looked upon as that type of leader who can give some type of direction in a sense of, okay, you got a question about revenue sharing. You got a question about how this might play out with a television contract. How does the SEC do this compared to, to other conferences? I, I think that's, you know, I think that's where he stands right now. You know, he's made it clear that they do not want to expand. Um, I don't think they will unless the right opportunity presents itself. And, and I think that opportunity is going to come out of the ACC. Uh, I don't think it comes from anywhere else. I think it's going to come from either Florida State, Clemson, maybe Vatek. You know, and I'm just throwing out a couple of names. But right now, that's where Greg Zanke's at. Where we don't have to expand. Meaning, talk about him. We don't have to expand 
but we're still going to gauge everyone's temperature because we don't know what's going to happen with the ACC. Chad and I were just discussing, like, hurry up and just branch off and let's see whatever is going to come across the, 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 the super conference as people talk about. Uh, Chad, the, the deadline we referenced for Florida State, if they're going to be out in 2024, is this coming Tuesday to inform the ACC. Uh, if that's going to happen sooner rather than later, the, the, the super conference branch, it would happen Tuesday with Clemson and Florida State. Uh, hypothetically here, but that's how you speed the process up is you have two schools, two programs announce that they're joining, partnering with the SEC or another conference on that date for 2024. Well, and that, that's sort of what I wanted to ask you about, Trey, just framing it a different way. Is there anything that would force Greg Sankey's hand to go ahead and add teams? Because I, I believe they like where they are right now and don't want to do anything. And I believe that he believes what he's telling Paul Feinbaum, that you know we don't need to be in four different time zones to matter. Well, we're fine where we are geographically and we can matter across the country and they do right now. But, you know, is it Cal and Stanford going to the Big Ten and then they start to look more and more like the super conference we talked about? Is there another move that could happen with a Notre Dame or someone that would then force Greg Sankey to do something? Or is the SEC only making a move if they really want to? Well, first off, the ACC presidents are pretty agitated with Notre Dame right now. Uh, because they get that full vote, um, because they're a football member, but they don't want to be classified as an ACC member when it comes to college football. I think when it comes to Greg Zanke, and that there is a force of a hand, if you guys remember, uh, I mean, I get my date so confused, uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was, the Big 12 had set a deadline for when teams had to let them know that they were going to be joining, Arizona, Utah, uh, Arizona State, you know, Colorado didn't have a deadline because they did it before. But the Big 12 set a deadline up. And, and what happened was you you saw a day and a half before that deadline hit, you saw these teams start joining in the conference and voting to join in. I think with the ACC scenario, and I was talking with a few folks about this earlier today, you're setting a deadline up. The only way the SEC, in my opinion, would make a move is if – and I'm just going to use two two teams. I'm not saying they're going to join. But if Florida State and North Carolina came to the ACC uh, on Monday and said, "Look, we don't plan on being here," they've already Florida State already said that. By the way, we don't plan on being here. We don't think we're going to be here, but we're making it official. We don't plan on being here. We are going to work our way out of this grant of rights deal. We're going to figure out a way to pay it, and we're going to move on. That's where if you're the SEC, you have to make, well, wait a minute. We don't want North Carolina, you know, to go somewhere else. We got, we got the South Carolina thing. We don't want North Carolina to go to the Big Ten. And do we want to let Florida State go? I think that is where the SEC gets their hand forced because of the scenario of, yes, Florida State is such a great fit for the SEC. So would be North Carolina, in my opinion. And that's where Greg Sankey would have to make that decision along with the presidents. Being, okay, guys, look, there's there's two teams out there, maybe three teams. Do we want to expand this thing? Do we want additional revenue? And I don't know how much that would be, but if we do want it, we have to act now because you can't let the Big Ten. And, and other, you know, another thing, too, is the Big Ten dipping down in the Florida State, you know, like dipping down in Tallahassee. I know it doesn't feel right to a lot of people, but look what they've done already. 
going to the West Coast? Do they want to get into the central time zone per se, or that, or that, you know, right there in that border and that that Florida Eastern, whatever? So I think I think the big decision comes down to whether or not we get any movement from the ACC. And and the biggest thing right now is look. The ACC in these talks with Cal and Stanford, a lot of it is just to appease Florida State and the teams that are agitated about revenue sharing because they want more money. But when we when you really break it down and get into it, Cal and Stanford have really never felt like a, a, a fit. I just, you know, I just put out a piece a second ago, something that I reported last night coming out of the meetings, how, you know, expenses, revenue sharing, the travel budgets that it's going to cost. These are things that the ACC are having, you know, they're getting a little scared about when it comes to Cal and Stanford and having them join the conference because any additional revenue that the ACC would get, even though they would hold some of that back from those two teams, maybe three, but really those two teams, it's going to go towards a travel budget. So it, it, it really offsets about bringing these two teams into the conference, even if you hold some of that money away from Cal and Stanford. So I think with Greg Sankey, Chad, I think the only way it kind of gets forced is if Florida State and another school force his hand. Trey Wallace with us of Outkick.com. Trey, uh, speaking of this upcoming season, we haven't done that very much lately. It's just around the corner. Who is a dark horse candidate to win the SEC this upcoming season if it's not Georgia or Alabama? I'm going to go out of the West. I'm going to go, I'm going to say Arkansas. And, and, and I love KJ Jefferson and I love rocket Sanders in that offense. And, and look, I know they lost. You lose bras. You're trying to reset this thing. But if there is a more, that duo of Jefferson and Sanders to me is going to be a highlight factory for the sec this year. Now, defensive wise is where things can get interesting for Arkansas. But if you're asking me, you know, outside the normals, outside of LSU, Alabama, Georgia, I, I think Arkansas kind of fits that mold, um, you know. And 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 that and if that's the case, because look, we've been looking for KJ Jefferson to be that guy for 13 games in a season. Last year it was kind of off and on, but he showed his talent. I'm not saying they're going to go out there and win it, but I will say that they're going to be a problem, in my opinion, for teams this year in the SEC and, and in the West. And, and I think that when you have that one-two punch of a thrower plus a guy that can get outside the pocket in Jefferson, and then you've got one of the top running backs in the country, in my opinion, in Rocket Sanders, I think that can cause a problem. So, you know, I, that, that that would be my one out of the West. If you're going to ask me out of the East, if you were just to say, uh, it would depend on, you know, the accuracy of Joe Milton yep. this year. Because they've got the offense, guys. I mean, I wrote about it earlier today. They've got the playmakers on offense. Defense, they've gotten better, in my opinion. But one thing Tennessee has not had in the last two years is depth. They have depth this year on the defensive side of the football. And that, and, and, and that's why I think, you know, look, is Tennessee going to win 11 games this year and, and win an Orange Bowl? I don't know. But it, if they are, it's going to depend on the accuracy. And, and it's going to depend on what Joe Milton has learned after two years. That's the biggest thing for me, too, Jonathan, is, is two years of learning under Josh Heupel. We're about to really find out what Joe Milton uh, has done over these last two years behind Hooker and learning in those rooms and, and becoming a better quarterback. 
Well, and can Tennessee become the first team in well over a year to knock off Georgia? Because looking at it right now, Tennessee's the only team, according to Vegas, that's within double digits. They're an eight-point underdog at home against Georgia, where Georgia's a double-digit favorite in every other game, about as easy a schedule as you could ask for for an SEC schedule this year for Georgia. But I, I want to ask about SEC West, final year of that division, and a team that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, and that's LSU. That is a consensus top five, top ten team that's right there behind Georgia and Alabama with a chance at the college football playoff. How good is this second-year squad for Brian Kelly at LSU? I think there's – I picked them to win the SEC West uh, this year. I, I think they are set up to have a great season. I think, you know, the first game, everybody says, oh, the first game's always tough. Well, first game is really tough. You play Florida State in Orlando to open the season. Um, you can't have what happened last year where you dropped that game because you have the talent. I think Jaden Daniels is going to be one of the top quarterbacks, in my opinion, top 10 quarterbacks in the country this year. Uh, he's got a better understanding of that offense. I think when you look at their running game, I think when you look at the offensive line, they're taking those next steps under Brian Kelly. You know, a lot of people were, were talking about the big fight they had in practice the other day. In my opinion, it's like, that's great. You want that. You want that kind of attitude in practice. And, and I'm not I'm not saying a fight in practice means they're going to win the SEC West. I'm just saying they're short up on the defensive line. I think in the secondary, they're going to be good. And you look at the way that they progressed last season. Yes, they lost to A&M, and then they got, went and got beat in the SEC championship game. But this team continued to make strides after getting destroyed by Tennessee and Baton Rouge. And you look at them now, it just feels like, that second year under Brian Kelly, he has this team ready to go. And I think overall, when you look at the coaching staff as well and, and listening to comments from them, they like what they're getting out of the defensive line. They like what they're going to have alongside Jaden Daniels. They're not just blowing smoke, in my opinion, and talking with a couple of SEC coordinators. They think this team is going to be very dangerous. But I say all that to say this. You damn well better go to Orlando, and you better beat Jordan Travis and Florida State to open the year. That's going to be a tough game because if not, you know, you starting off 0-1, you're you're already behind the eight ball. So it's just, you know, what a massive game that is on that Sunday. But I do think LSU is going to be good this year, and that's why I picked them to win the West. Trey, about 45 seconds here. Have you, have you heard very much buzz about the Alabama quarterback situation so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have. I, I think Jalen Milrow is going to be the first guy to take the snap um, first game of the season. Now, now, does that does that last? Who knows? Um, because it's going to be very interesting to see Nick Saban trot out potentially three quarterbacks. I think he's going to play two. I think it's going to be, in my opinion, Jalen Milrow. I think Ty Simpson will play uh, in that first game. But Overall, you got to get through that first game and figure out who is your guy straight up because that next week, Quinn Ewers and the Texas Longhorns are coming to town. Yep. So you can't be messing around with two or three quarterbacks in that Texas game. But I do think right now it's going to be Milrow taking the first snap. Trey, what do you have coming up on the Trey Wallace podcast? Yeah, we had uh, Bill Bender from the uh, Sporting News uh, join. Talked a lot about the realignment in the Big Ten uh, the ACC, what's going on? Notre Dame trying to forcing the hand of the ACC right now, uh, and we're just kind of previewing the season. So that'll drop tonight. 
And uh, yeah, man, we're getting closer to actually talking about football on the field. Yeah. And I look forward to it. Same here. Cannot uh, wait. Check out Trey. the podcast, outkick.com. Trey, appreciate it as always, man. Have a great rest of the Thanks, week. Buddy. And uh, here we go. College football around the corner. Let's do it. See you, boys. Later. Trey Wallace there. Uh, Chad, coming up, Dan Dockett joins us. Trey's talking quarterback battles in the SEC. There's a big one going on in Indianapolis with the Colts a big one in Tampa, and others. We'll get his take there, plus, of course, the hypocrisy of the NCAA and all the conference movement compared to NIL and legislation needing to be passed. What's next? Coming up later in the show, Armando Salguero will join us from Outkick.com and from On3, Andy Staples, straight ahead here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick network. And also on the network, you can find Don't At Me with Dan Dockich. Weekday mornings right here. We say hello to Dan. Dan, good to see you. Yep, getting ready to go beat my son's backside in golf, so I'm wearing red. It's Tiger Woods Day. It's Championship Thursday, so uh, yeah. <laughs> Wearing red, baby. Placing any bets the way Phil Mickelson would? I like Mickelson. I like what he's doing with his life. I feel strongly it's his money. Go bet. You need action. I understand it, man. Some dudes just need the action. He needs the action. I'm all for him. Go get him. And look, just don't whine when you lose. That's my thing with betting. Pay up and don't whine when you lose. That's it. I don't think he's ever whined when he loses. So respect, Mickelson. He doesn't whine very much, and then he, he boasts with the stacks that he wins uh, when fans criticize him or whatever it well, was the, on the social, one, which the was one hilarious. The $1 billion dollar yeah. claim is the one that jumped out to me. I'm thinking, he's not a billionaire. Oh, wait, he's won a lot in gambling and then placed those winnings down on more bets that could equal a billion dollars. Then I think, okay, whatever. It's your money. Do whatever you want. What do you think about the guy writing the book? Uh, his buddy, his gambling that- partner, whoever it is that's uh, spilling all the beans in this tell-all book about him. Well, Billy Walters is known, widely known, in the gambling circles as maybe the greatest gambler, uh, along with Doyle Brunson, in the history of gambling, maybe the best sports gambler ever. I don't respect people that write books like that. In fact, I'll tell you a story. I was at ESPN getting ready to do some shows, and Hank Haney, who was Tiger Woods' golf coach, uh, was in the same green room. And they said, hey, Dan, why don't you go in there? Uh, introduce yourself to Hank. I go, no, Hank's a rat. I got nothing to do with him. You want to you want to be Tiger Woods' coach? Don't write a book about it. Uh, I just don't think, uh, I don't like that stuff. People always ask me to write a book about my time, you know, at Indiana or wherever, and I always say the same thing. Well, if I did, uh, no one's going to read my book because of national championships. They're going to read my book because of hijinks. And those hijinks were my hijinks. You know, I participated with others and those others aren't writing a book, so those others don't need to be named. I've never been a believer uh, in doing that. It's just not my style. I like reading them. I'm not going to lie. I'll read them, uh, but I'll never write one because nobody, you know, I left West Virginia in 2002. People crushed me. Uh, I could have crushed West Virginia, but I always said, you know what? This is my doing. This is what I did. Uh, Nobody needs to be crushed. It was my decision. So I've never been a big fan of tell-all books. 
Dan, what did you make of the Northwestern assistant coaches, their decision to wear the Wildcats against the World shirt with 51 on it, Pat Fitzgerald's old college number, and then the response and the statement from athletic director Derek Gregg that it was in poor taste and it was tone deaf? Yeah, you know, again, I always tell you a story about my life. Uh, 08, I took over for Calvin Sampson. Calvin Sampson was and is a cheat, and Calvin Sampson – the players uh, put KS on their shoes, and I got to tell you, I really had no problem with it. Uh, I guess I could have, you know, went, it went for a few games, and I said, hey, fellas, enough, let's go. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. I didn't have any problem with it. Look, I understand hazing has no place. It doesn't. And I'm so glad that the coaches, whether it was my high school coach, Danny Rogovich, my college coach, Bob Knight, uh, never would have allowed any of it, and I certainly didn't. When I was coaching at Bowling Green, I'm very happy about that. I know some friends that went to other schools that did, they didn't like it, and I never understood it. But look, Fitzgerald has impacted a lot of people's lives in a very positive way. Should he have known about the hazing? Of course he should have. Uh, I got no problem with those guys wearing those shirts. The AD can kiss my backside. The AD's posturing. The AD should be fired. The AD's the guy that hired a baseball coach that they had to fire because of what he was doing inside his program. He, the AD, uh, along with, if you want to know the truth, the way college football is set up right now, the AD should have known about the hazing. I guarantee you, I'll bet you anything. And I don't care. I don't. This will never be proven. But I'll bet you anything that the AD had heard about it. And now here comes this AD in a white horse trying to tell everybody how to go about the business of Northwestern football. That AD can kiss my backside. That thing uh, is a mess, will continue to be a mess, but I don't have any big problem with guys wearing a shirt. I'm sure a lot of them love uh, Fitzgerald, owned their careers to him, and learned a lot from him. Dan, I mentioned yesterday that the statement that I read from Greg just had the sentiment of someone that's being investigated from the top down. You know, they've got yes. the, they've got the <laughs> yes. investigation going on through the entire athletic department. He's got to prove that he's responding in a way that's, uh, you know, the, the right way based on university standards and what is being uh, looked at internally. And it, then also you have David Braun, the interim head coach, say it's not my business to censor anyone's free speech. Um, and uh, my view on it was, hey, they're, they're not pro-hazing. Uh, this is pro-Pat uh, Pat Fitzgerald, who was fired from the university that admitted that they didn't know one way or the other if he knew or not what was going on. Yeah, that's, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it reeked of lawyerdom. It leaked, it, it reeked from the AD standpoint. You know, I'm a little surprised. I guess in that situation, the AD has to say something. But you know how this goes. You guys have seen this. Hey, we don't comment on an ongoing yeah. investigation. We handle everything in-house, blah, 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 blah. But you're absolutely right. I mean, they're trying to get as much out there as they possibly can to distance themselves from Fitzgerald and also to distance themselves from hazing. Hey, look, I don't blame them. Do what you got to do. But I also don't blame the coaches. Look, Fitzgerald was there a long time. He impacted a lot of people. Hey, let's just say for the sake of argument, uh, there was hazing. And let's just say for the sake of argument, he knew there was hazing. I always go by the St. Peter rule. If I'm in front of St. Peter at the pearly gates and like, all right, Fitzgerald, you did all this great stuff, but your team hazed. Ah, come on in. Ah, you're in. Let's go. I mean, you know. I don't know. It's like guys that pay kids in college. Like if the worst thing you ever did as a millionaire is pay some kid who couldn't afford nothing. I always thought, yeah, I'm not going to do it because it's against the rules. But I always thought if that's the worst thing you do, you'll be all right. What could schools possibly say now in regards to NIL or transfer portal or anything else 
and actually be taken seriously if they're one of the schools that just left to realign in a new conference simply based <laughs> on media money. I mean, it's really put, you know, Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin come out with this, and I, I'm thinking those guys have to be thinking, we just put this together saying it's got to be about the greater good and the student athlete and not all about money and we're doing all this. And then a couple weeks later, it's all about the money with the schools. And they're not even <laughs> looking at anything else but the money. What do you make of the hypocrisy of the all big, this, Dan? Chad, the, 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 Dan, the biggest programs literally just uh, – the conferences literally just transferred portal an entire conference Yeah. Uh, after complaining yeah. about it. Here's what I have said the entire time, and I don't care. There's two things that I've said, one of which is never going to happen. I've said forever, you got to at some point protect the schools, and you got to at some point protect the sport. That's relative to players moving. Fine. All right, let's take that aside. Here's what you do. I, I swear to you guys, you just embrace all of it if you're a university president, if you're a coach. You just say, look. This is the world that we live in. Money dictates it. Money's going to student athletes. So guess what? The money is taking care of the student athlete. There's nothing that a student athlete doesn't want that they don't get or wants that they don't get. They get everything they want. They want money? We got it. You want better food? We got it. We got to have, you know, I think uh, Michigan didn't feed uh, some recruit a gourmet meal, so everybody got it writing about it, and it was a bad deal. Everything you guys want, well, guess what? We're doing the same thing with our school. Hey, we want more money. Let's just understand what it is. I don't want to hear about student athletes. I want to hear about the volleyball team. My wife's like, yeah, look, they don't care about the softball team. They never have. They never will. She got that as a coach because she understands it was free admission to Syracuse or uh, softball games and you paid a lot of money and 30,000 people went to the damn football games and 30,000 went to the, to the basketball game. She understood that. So don't even, don't even put a facade up there. Just simply say, this is what everybody wanted. This is what the media was clamoring for. Pay students. Make more money. Give it to the students. So we are, and in order to make more money, we got to shift conferences, and I don't want to hear about it. That's what I would say if I were an athletic director, president, or chancellor. I don't want to hear about it. This is the system that people wanted to go to. We're here. We're generating the most we can by leaving the Pac-12 and joining the Big Ten. I don't want to hear a word about it. This is what we're, you wanted. This is what we're doing. People look at well, me I like, do. yeah. People look at me like I'm crazy when I when I say the following, and you may you may do the same, Dan, when I say this. But <laughs> you've got a tie to Harvard. Uh, you know that university a bit. You've, you've got a, a family tie there. I always think if it's all about the money. Who could compete more than Harvard if they decided to be a Division I right. FBS college football program? And we're going to have Andy Staples on later. And Andy Staples threw out this idea of, hey, here's your conference. It's Notre Dame. It's Cal and Stanford. It's the military academies. Put them in a conference. Let NBC buy it. Notre Dame would have to take less money, but they've been taking less money contract after contract anyways. And that's something people would watch across America and then I think, you know, why stop there? Add Harvard and Yale, who have enough money to leave the Ivy League and be a major college football power if they wanted to. Am I crazy to think that way? No. No, 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 no. I I'll tell you right now. If you're Harvard and you're Tommy Amaker at Harvard, I'd be knocking on my president's door saying, hey, let's go. You know, it, football, let's go. You know, you're, you're talking at Harvard. Okay. All you got to do, and I did this, all you got to do is go through the roles of alumni. 
Like my daughter, my stepdaughter now gets an alumni magazine. I always go to the back where it's alumni. And everybody's a CEO, right? <laughs> so you could pay more money. You, if you got kids in a Harvard degree, the hardest thing about Harvard, according to everybody, and this goes back to two friends I had that went there uh, as I was coming through the coaching race. Hardest thing about Harvard is getting into Harvard. Once you're into Harvard, it ain't that hard, everybody, including my stepdaughter tells me. They want you to succeed. You are so right. If Harvard decided, hey, look, screw this. We're going to put resource. We want to be a player in football. We want to be on this stage. They could do it in a second, a second because of the money that they have. And you know, people, and I, and, and I get it, man. People complain about the Ivy League. It's too liberal, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to this, you got to admire the Ivy League. You got to admire that they haven't sold out yet still got a Sweet 16 team in Princeton into the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. No, it's like this. I go to Bowling Green, Chad, and Bowling Green has this unbelievable history in hockey. Like two or three guys on the Miracle and Ice, Dave Mar- or Morrow and other Ken Morrow and uh, Wells and another guy are from Bowling Green. National champs. And I remember saying, hold on here. If Indiana University decided to start a hockey program and throw money into it, they would bypass Bowling Green in a second because of the way it is. If Harvard decided they wanted to put their real money into it, get real about it, or Yale, or Princeton, or Dartmouth, or Cornell, or any of these schools with the endowments and the money they have from alums, they would compete with the Alabamas without question. Dan Dockich with us. Dan, final minute here. Whenever I see Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson (laughs) atop the depth chart, both are listed as QB1. Is that legit? It's been legit in practice. It's been legit by the way they have shared snaps. I don't think so. I think uh, we got a little window in there because Richardson has been announced first game preseason starter. But when you look at who has divided up the snaps, it's absolutely legit. You know what? Gardner Minshew has taken some. And people are always saying, well, you know, Gardner Minshew has taken them just to make sure he's ready if, in fact, that Richardson proves he can't you know, play. Well, how are you going to prove he can't play? I guess maybe in the first quarter of an exhibition game is going to shed some light on it, or maybe the Bears are coming in here and they're going to practice and we'll get a little bit of a look. But in terms, if you just go by snaps, if you just go by that, absolutely it's real. If you go by hope, hell no, it's not yeah. real. If you go by what Jimmy says ultimately, because he's running it, he and his daughter's not Ballard, he's running it now. Ultimately, he's going to say, hey, look, man, we're going to get Richardson in there. But as we're sitting here right now on the 10th and you're asking me that question, if you're just going from a pure coaching practice scenario, yes, it's legit. Dan Dockett's legit with Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Uh, Grip it and rip it, Dan. Hit them straight. Yeah, I'm wearing red. It'll be good. Wear that red all the way to victory, Dan. Thank you. Yes, sir. Dan Dockett. The rally cry on the golf course. Also wonder if the Colts are about to play two quarterbacks. Dan's about to take some money from his son. That's my guess. <laughs> Put a few back as well. well. Coming up, how do we view Mickelson's gambling? And how do we view Ron Rivera's leadership? That's straight ahead on Hot Mike. 